Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us yet again today for another episode. And, uh, you know, I really like starting off kind of raw like this. Um, I am here with my new friend, Megan Harrison. Megan, thank you for making time for the Boca Podcast. Yeah, of course. I'm super excited. And, and the reason I say that we're starting off raw is because you and I only chatted, Megan, for probably about 30 seconds before we started recording. Um, I We haven't had the opportunity to meet before, so I get to get to know you with our listeners today, which I'm really excited about. You guys have a really interesting story. I say you guys, you and your family, and uh, we'll, we'll get into those details here in just a little bit. But we usually start off the book of podcast with something that we call the technique for time. And I'm really curious for you as a business owner, and this really plays on kind of our primary topic we're going to get into in more detail later on, but how do you create time for yourself, space for yourself and for your family amidst the busyness of running a photography business? Yeah, I think that's a really important question to start off with. Um, One of the things that I do do, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you, Nathan, but of course, I outsource my editing. I feel like I love to edit. And so that one was a really hard choice for me. But Mm. once I was able to, to hand that over to somebody else, it really freed up so much time. And then the other really important thing that I wanted to mention was that when I'm in a good habit of waking up early before the rest of my family is awake, yeah, I feel like I have so much more freedom with the rest of my day. I'm able to start the day by checking off the most important items on my list yes, without having to worry about when am I going to fit that in throughout the rest of the day when my family's awake. So that's probably my favorite thing to do is to wake up early. You know, I, I like this. So I want to get back, first of all, to the comment that you made about editing, because I'm curious to get your take on this. This is, I get a variety of feedback, I guess, or have over the years, about a decade or so that photographers edit's been around. The the reasons that photographers say that they don't outsource their editing, one is cost. And I guess the other one, just to alliterate, is control. And, uh, but then I guess a third in this case that you're pointing out is, is just the simple enjoyment we're, we, we've stopped the alliterating here, but the enjoyment of the actual editing process. And I can even personally relate to that. It's fun to get a, a cool new Lightroom preset or maybe even a Photoshop yeah. action back in the day and, and apply that to an image. And, and it gives this new finish, a new life to the image and kind of tweak that and adjust it and make it your own. How did you justify or maybe come to some kind of compromise between your love for editing and then also finding the benefit of outsourcing the editing? What was that balance? So for me, I still edit my favorite like 100 to 150 images from a wedding. Okay. So I'm still able to put my personal touch on my top favorites, the ones that mean the most to me. And then I go ahead and I send them to you guys at Photographer's Edit and I say, I've done edits on these favorites and just go ahead and copy those edits to the rest of them. That way I still feel like I have control and I'm also part of that process that I enjoy of picking out my favorites and making sure that those ones look exactly how I want them to look. 
I love it. I think that's a wonderful kind of balance, if you will, or a compromise. And, and I love how you outlined that. The other thing that you pointed out, too, was waking up early. I'm a huge fan of this, although I'll, I'll be the first to admit I'm not always consistent. I do love the feeling of g- getting ahead, having t- you know even two or three steps ahead by starting my, my day early, getting a workout in. And then, as you were saying, kind of jump into the most important tasks for the day. I think that's a great way to go about it. Um, and that's certainly what I prefer to, to do. How do you how do you make sure that you're doing what's actually important to your your business? How do you know what is most important? Do you take the time the day before to kind of outline that? Do you have a, a larger plan that you're referring to? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And something that I think probably every business owner struggles with is where am I going to focus my time on today to get the most benefit from it? And yeah, the night before, that's when I find is more beneficial is if I can make a list the night before and say, these are the top three things that I'm going to make sure that I tackle in the morning when I wake up. So I try to have a list beside my bed at night before I go to sleep. And that also helps me to be able to relax before Mm. I go to bed because then I just know, okay, this is what I'm going to handle in the morning. So that's, that's how I try to handle that. That's beautiful. I love it. Well, speaking of free time, then we're talking about how to create that free time, that space for yourself. And in this case for your family as well, how do you like to spend your free time? Um, so I'm a homeschooling mom of three. So I choose to spend my time homeschooling and obviously being with my kids, we love to be outside. We love to go on hikes. Um, our favorite thing is just exploring together so that's that's how most of my free time is spent is outside and with my kids. I love that. Well, the, the dedication to your kids. I have two two kids. Austin is 16. Addison is 13. And while they go to, they're actually in the public school system, I put so much more weight on what I can give them at home. You know, you, you hear a lot of parents talk about the, the scores associated with a particular school or school system. Frankly, ours is not the greatest in the area that I'm in, but I'm, I know that what I have to offer them at home is going to be so much more valuable, especially when it comes to life principles. And so I love that you're, you've dedicated yourself to an even further extent to that regard, uh, but not only to their schooling, but also getting out too. And I think there's something so important to actually getting outside, not only for the sake of, of the health that comes from exercising, but also uh, there's something about being outdoors and kind of connecting with the world at large that is, is really beautiful and kind of transformative. I certainly experienced that growing up. I mean, would you say that you're hiking two, three, four times a week? What does that look like? Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like we just I search online. I try to find the newest hike or the newest place that we haven't been to. And we just drive off up into the mountains. Before we started traveling full time, we were living in Utah. And so we would just go up into the mountains any chance we could. And that was just what our summer looked like. Uh, that's really, really beautiful. We have there's this beautiful, beautiful trail near where I live that I love to go to with my kids. It's through the woods, but right alongside a beautiful creek, and you have that the, the sound of the water rushing by as as you're walking down this this beautiful path, and you're kind of tucked into the mountains away from everything. It's a beautiful experience. Um, I could certainly stand to to get out more even myself in that that type of environment. But I love that you make that a priority. Let's go a different route. Tell us something just totally random that most people might not know about you. So I'm, I'm actually a total introvert um, doing things like this interview with you. Um, I've been terrified for the past week, just prepping for it. Even preparing to meet a new client for a session can make me really nervous. And it's something that I have to emotionally and mentally gear up for. I can do it and I usually pull it off okay. But yeah. afterwards, I really need to reset and recharge. So I enjoy people. I love meeting new people. I love networking. But it's not something that I get energy from. It takes energy from me. And so it's something that I really have to work 
for in order to be good at it. That makes sense. But well, first of all, I have to say, and I'll be the first to say that you're highly articulate. You, you it seems as though you thought through what you're going to say. You're able to communicate it really, really well. And I'm sure that translates to the way that you interact with your clients. But I'm curious to explore this for a second because I know there are a lot of photographers that uh, would would call themselves introvert or introverted. Um, I've certainly used that label in the past for myself. What I what I find particularly interesting about this topic, though, is that um, I know there's a tendency in a lot of cases, and you're an example of, of how you've kind of moved beyond that that label, but in many cases, you see people that will use, and, and photographers in particular, that will use a label and almost kind of hide behind that label. I am, you know, fill in the blank. In this case, I am an introvert, and they they kind of limit themselves with that label. I found personally that once I started to kind of dig into the psychology behind why I felt like an introvert or why, if, you know, if I went to a big photographer get together gathering with a lot of people and it was crowded and I felt like I needed to get out of that room and take a break every once in a while, I, I, I was curious about the psychology behind that. And once I took the time to figure out what was driving that, it made all the difference in the world to my ability to be able to be comfortable in an environment like that, that would, you know, not naturally be comfortable for an introvert. So have you... Have you kind of dug into this a little bit for yourself? What's enabled you to be able to move beyond that? You're obviously doing it. You're doing it now so well. What's enabled you to be able to move beyond that and and kind of not get stuck just simply in that label of introvert? I think uh, it all comes from seeing the benefits mm. of of moving beyond that. Like you said, things like this, like I'm making new friends and and also just um, meeting new clients and. I see that the benefits outweigh the risks that go into meeting new people and putting yourself in uncomfortable yeah. positions. That when you go beyond your comfort zone, um, you're always going to come out better for it. Um, and I can recognize that in so many different situations in my life that at this point, I'm willing to do hard things yes. when I know that it's going to be better for me in the end. So that's a mantra that I have is that I can do hard things. And, um, and sometimes that's the only thing that'll get me up and going and, and starting it. Yeah, and there is a certain exhilaration on the other side of doing something that that you're a little bit nervous about up front. I actually I, I read motorcycles, and this past weekend I had the opportunity for the first time to go to the racetrack with a motorcycle. And the first time that I got out there on the track, I came back in after the session that lasted about twenty minutes or so, and I was honestly I was I was frustrated um, <laughs> because I realized how just. I guess inept I was at riding this motorcycle in this particular environment, especially in comparison comparison to some of these people that are just you know flying past me. Um, but once, kind of long story short, as the day progressed and as I started to put concepts and ideas into practice and and kind of make sense of what it meant to be out there, I ended the day on this this physical high. I was so excited about what I had accomplished and and where I had gone. And fortunately, I. I made it out of the track without having crashed my bike too. But pushing through that kind of uncomfortable situation, as you pointed out, on the other side of that was this exhilaration um, that, I mean, frankly, I haven't felt that many times in my life. It was absolutely amazing. So kudos to you for doing what may seem uncomfortable in the moment, pushing through it and finding the benefit on the other side. And I think that's a great example for all of our listeners. Let's kind of go in the direction of photography here. I'm curious as to how long you've been in business as a photographer, maybe a little bit of the backstory, how you got started. Yeah, for sure. Um, I began my photography journey my first semester of college, which was in the fall of 2008. So it's, it's almost been 10 years now. 
And during that first semester, as freshmen sometimes do, I was just having a really hard time adjusting to this new life, this new college life. Mm. And one day I had a flyer in my mailbox for a beginning photography workshop um, with Natalie Norton on Oahu. And she's a photographer that I've been long following and loved and looked up to her. And I just kind of took this as as my sign and I felt I needed to do this. And so I, I joined her class and I was immediately hooked. I've always loved photography. I've always taken the time to take pictures and have a camera on me. But the more I dived into photography with that class and in those college years, um, the more I started to feel like myself again um, and started to feel like I was becoming more the kind of person I, that I was supposed to be, that I really just felt like this is my calling and, and diving into photography helped me kind of get out of that dark place that I was in at the beginning of college. And it's just been with me ever since. It's always been a tool that helped me feel more like myself. I've always wanted to be a traveling photographer and a writer, and, and not many people can say that they're doing what they felt like they should be doing when they were 10 years old. So I feel really lucky in that aspect. Wow. What an interesting story. And as you were talking here, I actually pulled up Natalie's Instagram page. We'll make sure to, to link to um, to that Instagram account in the show notes for this episode. But it's not a bad deal to start off, going to start off your photography career with a workshop in Hawaii. Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, yeah, I was attending college at BYU Hawaii on the North Shore of Oahu. And so I spent my my college years there. So that's that's how I started. And of course, so when you're in Hawaii, you want to take pictures of the beauty. And so oh, it was yeah. just a natural transition for me. So Wow. I had the opportunity to take my kids actually to Oahu a couple of years ago. And man, I so desperately want to go back. It was such an amazing experience, only even being there for a few days. Part of what was so fascinating for me, though, is I actually grew up in Japan. I spent about 10 years of my life there. And I would say, at least in the environment that we were in there in Oahu and around the Waikiki Beach area, it was... I mean, roughly 50%, I would say, of the population that we engaged with was Japanese. And oh, so yeah. it was kind of best of all worlds. I was I was still in my home country and yet still had kind of access to my second home country, if you will, got to use my Japanese. And of course, being this absolutely beautiful location, which I mean, to your to your point earlier, there is just kind of endless beauty to photograph. So I can imagine that was just idyllic. Oh, yeah. We loved it. Um, my husband's actually from Hawaii. That's where I met my husband. And so Hawaii definitely has a special place in our hearts. Wow. Incredible. Well, I, I'm curious about your photography business specifically. And, and you mentioned being able to travel as a photographer. Um, we'll get into that in more detail here in just a little bit. But what would you say is your photography business's brand position? What actually sets you apart from other photographers in your market? This is a really hard one for me because I feel like that I am I'm kind of somewhere in between the budget photographer and the luxury photographer. My prices are on the higher end, but I also struggle with the feeling of of wanting every mom to be able to see what it looks like when mm. when their kids are loving on them or wanting every bride to have beautiful photos of their groom seeing them for the first time. My tagline is authentic storytelling for the sentimental bride. So I, I really want these photos to mean something to the people I work with. I want these photos to be something more than just an item to cross off on their to-do list. I am, I'm all about the emotional connection, and I want my clients to feel that. Um, the best compliment that I've received from past clients is, I don't see these photos. I feel them. I, I'm remembering what it feels like in that moment. And so... 
that's what I strive for with all of my sessions. Um, that's what I would say is that is sets me apart is that um, I'm, I'm an emotional based person. And so yeah. my work is emotion based as well. Uh, it, there's something for sure to be said for the ability of a photographer to be able to kind of transport their clients back to that moment and feel that thing. I'm, I'm a huge, huge just sap, if you will. I'm, I'm very, very sentimental. And if, if I have the opportunity to go back and, and in fact, I do it quite a bit. I go back and look at old images, especially from my childhood and there's just something about being able to go back to those moments and kind of feel those feelings. And if you're doing that as a photographer, I would say that you're absolutely winning. I'm I actually on your website right now. By the way, for those listening in, Megan's website is Megan, M-E-G-H-A-N, rosephotography.com. We'll link to it in the show notes, but make sure you go check it out. Um, but a full day package for you is it looks like it starts at twenty eight hundred dollars. And just for the context of, of the conversation, for those listening in, uh, 2017, roughly 80 percent or so of weddings were photographed in the U.S. for two thousand dollars and less. And then that top 20 percent, well, actually, the next 10 to 15 percent or, or so goes from two to roughly four, thirty five hundred to four thousand dollars. And then the top five percent goes beyond that. So you're already in the top 20 percent, which actually puts you kind of up in the, the middle, as you said, middle to, to even high end in this case, just percentage wise, uh, which is really interesting to consider. But I, I hear you, too, in that there, there is a desire. I mean, I know when I got married years and years ago my parents paid $600 for a wedding mm -hmm. photographer. And that mm -hmm. was, I mean, that was a lot of money for them. They didn't make a lot of money. And the reality is uh, there is such a massive segment of the market. I mean, as indicated by these numbers I just shared that can only afford so much. So how did you kind of land on that price point um, in your particular market? So we recently moved. And so uprooting my business was hard for me as it is for anybody I still kept a lot of my clients. We, we used to live in Maryland and we moved to Utah. And so um, in Maryland, I had an awesome client base and I was able to be more on that uh, higher price point. Um, but moving to Utah, I felt like I had to start over. The, the market is completely different here in Utah. Mm. So I kind of just was finding a happy medium between those two, yeah. between my Maryland clients and my Utah clients and figuring out what's working between um, like I said, the clientele here in Utah versus in Maryland. Well, and I would say that's so important too. That that uh, and, and and kudos to you again for for doing this very thing, which is to develop a certain level of awareness of your market as a business owner and price accordingly. You know, there's there's been over the years. I mean, I've been in the industry close to twenty years, about eighteen years or so now, and it, there is there's a lot of conversation around pricing, and it seems as though photographers many times kind of complicate that process, but. Really, it's not so complicated. Part of your pricing should be determined by your business model, which, of course, is ultimately determined by your personal goals, where you want to go with your life. Um, the business model determines the target clients and, as well, the, the, price, the pricing structure that makes sense. But part of that conversation is awareness of your market and pricing according to your market. And so the very fact that you've made adjustments for that, I think, is really intelligent and, again, a good example for our listeners. So I appreciate you sharing that too. Uh, let's yet again, go a little bit different direction. You've been in business now for you at least been photographing for about 10 years. What's the toughest lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far? It would, it would have to go back to what um, we were just talking about is making sure that you know, in your audience, as much as I want to give this, you know, this wonderful gift to everyone, not everyone is my ideal client. And not everyone is going to like me or want my style. And I've just had to 
learn that I have to find my people. I have to find my tribe and I have to just really love on them. Mm. And then also a, a practical lesson that I've learned is just having an excellent prep checklist. I have shown up to shoots beforehand for getting batteries, for getting memory cards and, <laughs> you know, learning the hard way, yeah. um, that embarrassing moment of, oh, shoot, I got to fix this with my client. Um, and just realizing that doing the prep work beforehand to be um, mentally and physically prepared for all of my sessions beforehand. So having a, a good workflow before a session starts. Yeah, this is a good reminder too. I mean, I think about my tendency both in business and and I guess even as a photographer too. I shot weddings for about 10 years. I, I kind of like there, there's an element of me that likes to just go with the flow and react to whatever's happening. But as a business owner, you can only do that for so long before it kind of comes back to, to bite you. So this idea of preparation, even with the small details, is a, a really, really smart way to go. You don't want to get in the moment and not be ready for that. Part of that comes with practice and just shooting a lot. But part of it, comes with understanding your client, what they want, understanding the environment and planning accordingly. So I think that's really great. Curious though, do you have a favorite piece of gear these days that you're shooting with, uh, whether it's a lens or camera body or maybe even an accessory? I would say that I use my 50 millimeter most often for portraits and yes. weddings days. But when I'm home and with my family, um, I'm using my 35 millimeter the most. Um, okay. I just love that it tells the whole story of the whole scene and the whole process of what we're going through. I'm also a closet film lover. I do have a little Nikon F100 that I like to break out. So that for me, that's kind of like my personal side hobby is is playing with film. I use it in sessions occasionally, but I usually save that for just personal fun stuff too. And that F100 is a great camera. I've talked about this before on the podcast, but uh, that was my first kind of, if you will, a, a professional camera. I'll put that in quotes, air quotes, uh, <laughs> that, that I started with. But it, it was so responsive and I so enjoyed that camera. I'd, I'd, it would be fun to still shoot with one. But with that, with that film photography that you're doing, especially for personal projects, are you then printing that or what does that process look like? Um, I'm usually sending it to the fine lab and they'll send me back the digitals. I would love to do a darkroom class and learn how to do that. Um, it's not something that I've done yet. But then, yeah, I, I, I love to make albums with all of our photos. So I'm, I'm printing them off from the digitals that I get back from fine lab. That's really, really cool. Well, I, I want to move in the direction of uh, kind of our focus today, which has to do with the fact that you, I mean, on your website, even you say you're a traveling family visiting all the national parks during 2018 and 19. And as many of our listeners who, who regularly listen to the podcast know, so much about Boca centers around how to create freedom, flexibility for ourselves as photography business owners. And then, of course, the, the second part to that is how we then take advantage of that freedom and that flexibility you're you're living this kind of to the fullest. And, and so I want to dig into how you're making it happen. How did this whole adventure start in the first place? So this story is a little bit personal, and I hope it's okay that I share it. I think it's important for people to see where we're coming from and, and why we did make this kind of drastic lifestyle change here. Absolutely. Um, I think that both my husband and I realized that I used I was a stay-at-home mom working my my business on the side here. Um, while he worked full time. And I think that we both just came to realize that this stay at home mom and work full time dad wasn't all that we had thought it to be. Um, mm. As we were growing our family and my business was growing as well, our marriage and our family life went through a lot of ups and downs. And um, about a year and a half ago, my husband was diagnosed with OCD mm. and anxiety. And um, we both uh, just felt like receiving that diagnosis really caused us to just stop and think about 
what we were doing with our lives and if it was really the way that we wanted to spend it. Yeah. At that point, he ended up changing jobs in hopes of, of it helping with the anxiety. And that new job did end up being better for him, but it also meant longer hours and a longer commute, which meant that now my stress levels were higher and, sure. and our family saw him less. Hmm. Um, and so we just slowly started realizing that um, maybe this this typical American lifestyle of, of a home and the nine to five job just wasn't the way that we're going to be happiest within our own personal family dynamics. Yeah. Um, and that if we wanted a different solution that we're going to have to come up with it ourselves. We decided on the national parks because, I mean, we've always had a dream of, of visiting all of them together. There were times um, when my husband's OCD was at its worst that I would find him at home watching documentaries on the national parks as a way for him to just feel like himself again. Mm. Um, the national parks have always been just a special place of kind of uh, refuge and peace for us. And we've always been campers and travelers. And um, we just decided that rather than saying, oh, one day we'll hit them all. Let's let's just make sure we are following our dreams. If we're going to be traveling, then let's let's do it like this. Wow. I mean, there's just so many different directions, I guess we could go with this conversation. But what what did that what did the beginning of that process then to kind of make the transition from the typical, as you say, nine to five job with the nice home and, and kind of consistent day to day schedule to getting out of that and planning travel? What did, what did that look like? But then I guess kind of coupled with that, I'd love for you to start to explain a little bit about how you were able to take your business along with you. Because if you're constantly moving around, it's, it, it can be tough ultimately to have a consistent client base that's generating the revenue that you're looking for. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I mentioned earlier, because I, I did still have a pretty strong clientele base in Maryland and on the East Coast, um, we started planning our travels around the sessions that I knew and the weddings that I knew I was already going to have um, on the East Coast. And so we just decided that we would follow the path that my sessions were taking us. And oh, that's cool. um, yeah, we, we set out an outline of what we wanted to follow so that we could be kind of in the northern states um, in the summer and in the southern states in the winter so that we were always warm. And, and so that's kind of how I started transforming my business to fit this lifestyle. I still had connections all over the country. Like I said, we've always been travelers. I have family and friends all over. And I just started sharing with them this idea that we had and asking them to help me spread the word so that I could have sessions all around the country and that we could use that um, as our income. Um, as far as like downsizing up from a home to, you know, our little trailer that we live in now, that was a huge process. I would say the whole process took us about a year from the time that we had this idea and started actually being serious about it to the time that we are driving away, Yeah, just minimizing our, our possessions and um, selling things off. And obviously telling friends and family, um, it's been a really interesting experience uh, just hearing different people's reactions. Some people are totally supportive. Some think we're absolutely crazy, which we're fine with. Um, <laughs> and so it's been a real, really interesting and emotional journey too. not just the physical journey of, of simplifying our lives, but also an emotional journey of simplifying as well. Well, I, I'm kind of jealous almost um, in that that you went through this process where you essentially had to get rid of probably most of what you owned in order to to go to that trailer lifestyle. I'm 
very much a minimalist myself. If anybody were to come to my apartment, you'd think that I was you know, a college student with very little belongings because that's essentially what it looks like. I'm looking around <laughs> my living room right now where I'm actually doing the interview and I, very simple kind of plain walls with just a few pictures on it. I mean, I, that is, that's how I prefer to do life for multiple reasons, but ultimately the less stuff that you have to keep up with I guess that the clearer your mind is and the clearer your focus can be on doing the things that actually really, truly matter to you. And um, so I love this approach to, to doing life. But how, what percentage of the time do you actually live in this, this trailer? Well, right now it, it is full time. Our house is sold. We're, we are in Utah right now. We're visiting family, but we are heading to, we're starting to head east next month. Yeah. And um, yeah, we're in this trailer full time. And um, we do have a storage unit where we've kept just kind of those um, major, just the sentimental things that mean the most to us, things that you can't replace. Sure. We don't have any of our furniture in there or anything. So yeah, we are living pretty basic here and it's been really freeing for us. And, and, and like you said, your responsive, I'm kind of jealous is something that we get a lot, but um, you know, obviously this lifestyle, I don't want to paint this rainbow picture that there aren't <laughs> challenges, you know, like sure. there are. There are definitely challenges, especially when you're bringing three kids and we also have two dogs, you know, and so, wow. but um, we found that in life, we're going to have challenges no matter where we're living. Yes. So we're going to, we're going to have our challenges where we want them rather out in the country or out in exploring the U.S. rather than what we were doing before. Oh, so. I love that. And, and that very much is a theme here on the podcast, the idea of proactivity versus reactivity. And you're kind of grabbing the bull by the proverbial horns, if you will, and saying, this is how we're going to do life. And if you know problems want to come get us, we'll, we'll deal with them on the road. Mm-hmm. I, I love that, that mentality and that approach. You mentioned earlier that, or you just briefly alluded to the income that you generate from your photography business for the sake of this, this lifestyle. Is that kind of your sole income at this point? Or is your husband also doing some things? Um, at this point, it is our sole income. We, after his diagnosis, we just kind of decided that we'd like to have him not work if possible and yeah. have this be kind of a sabbatical for him. Yeah. He is a great stay at home dad, if you want to call it that. We're both staying at home now. We're kind right. of um, leveling out the playing fields with that a little bit. But we, with simplifying and selling our home and our possessions, we really wanted to start this journey debt-free. Mm. So we don't have any debt. And so that allowed us to be able to worry less about money. And so, yes, at this point, um, I am the sole income, but my husband does do IT work. So if we um, needed him to do remote work, it would be very, very possible for him to do that as well. That's incredible. Wow. Well, I talk to us a little bit. Uh, I want to kind of get into the, the, the practical side of things and, and uh, maybe some recommendations that you might have for those listening in who might even be interested in creating, at least creating more flexibility in their lifestyle uh, here in just a second. But tell us about some of the most exciting places that you've had the opportunity to travel to so far. This past, past spring, um, we were able to travel to Thailand with our two oldest children where we trekked into a a hillside tribe in Chiang Mai. And I would say that that's probably my number one travel experience right now. Um, It was amazing. We were there with some really close friends of ours that live in Bangkok. And um, that was just a trip of a lifetime. What was most exhilarating about that? I mean, was it being so, I guess, so far removed from everything? Or was there something else that was most exhilarating about it? Yeah, being so far removed, it was just a wonderful opportunity to show my children the way different cultures and lifestyles live. When we first went into this hillside tribe, 
Um, they're living on a small farm. They've got farm animals and there's other small children around. And so mm. they were able to interact with these children. They're not speaking the same language, yeah. but they're able to connect with them still and still play with them and have fun with them. And that as a mom, that was a wonderful moment for me to teach them that, you know, we're all people and yep. we can find similarities rather than finding the differences. Um, so that was just really special for us. Oh, and, and I, you know, I love that. And I don't want to kind of move this, this podcast in a totally different direction, but it's an interesting point that you make there, the significance of similarities. Um, you know, there's, there's so much conversation, particularly in American culture about race and racial issues. And really candidly, I've had a hard time understanding it because I grew up in a different country where I was the odd man out or, or kid out, if you will. I mean, I was the kid with the blonde hair. The kids mm-hmm. were, were coming up and asking for, literally ask for a piece of my hair. Like they could expect me to pull out a piece of my blonde hair and hand it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up, at, there's actually a picture that comes to mind when you're talking about your kids hanging out with the kids in that, in, in that environment. There's this picture of me right after we moved to Japan where I'm sitting, I think I'm actually sitting on a tricycle of some kind. And the, the, the Japanese kids from the neighborhood are kind of surrounding us. And, and we look a little bit just out of sorts, if you will. You know, this was still a relatively new environment, but we were thrust right into it. And as a result, we learned the language pretty quickly. And we became very comfortable with being in an environment that wasn't the norm for us. And quickly, that, that became a second home. And so my perspective about, as you were, I mean, I think so beautifully said the fact that there are other humans who, yes, may have differences, but at the end of the day, they're humans and we're all humans living on this earth. That perspective, I think, is missed so many times. There is a beautiful thing about differences and we should appreciate those differences. But at the end of the day, we're all humans and finding even a small commonality is really important when it comes to this conversation about about race. So I love that you're teaching your kids that very proactively. I mean, I can't imagine a more proactive way to do it than just to to go right into um, kind of the, the heart of Thailand and give them that experience. I think that's really, really incredible. Let, let's make this practical, though, for our listeners who may, you know, initially they're saying, oh, my goodness, this idea of selling everything and getting on the road in a trailer and traveling nonstop, that, that, I can't do that, but I do want to create more flexibility in my life. Will you share maybe some of the biggest principles that you've implemented or or enacted in your life, in your family's life, to be able to create this kind of flexibility in your life? Yeah. I mean, I I just can't get away from this idea of simplifying, Hmm. you know, that we've we've talked about it. But when we lived in Maryland, we lived in a tiny little house and we moved to Utah. And for the same cost, we could get a house that was three times the size. And because we could, we did. And it ended up being, you know, detrimental to us and not what we actually needed. And even despite us thinking that that's what we needed. Um, And so just realizing what's important in life and what we're spending our time on. And and like you said, like our possessions really do kind of begin to own us in a way. It was what we're figuring out. Yeah. And so for us, simplifying just meant that we could worry about the things that mattered. Hmm. Another thing that I've done in moving from one one side of the country to the others, just maintaining those networks and those friendships all over the country. I kept all of my connections in Maryland, have connections in Minnesota where I used to live and just um, making friends wherever I go. Um, I try to do like a styled shoot anywhere I travel just so that I'm meeting new people and so that I can have those connections wherever we're traveling. And and again, that goes back to kind of going outside of my comfort zone and going past this interview, the introvert tendencies. Yeah. Another thing that I do when we're traveling to keep my business afloat is um, batch work. 
when we don't have internet, I'm, I'm doing all my blogging writing. So I'll have a full day where I just, that's all I do is blogging. And so just making sure that I have good systems in place for my workflow helps me to be able to, again, worry about the things that matter and let my systems do the things that are running behind the scenes. And when you say batch work, can you can you break that down a little bit more for our listeners? Because I think it's really important. I mean, it, it sounds a little bit nerdy to, to get into <laughs> workflow, but the reality is, you know, well, first of all, as, as we say on our Workflow Wednesday episodes, literally everything we do is workflow as photography business owners. And if we're going to actually capitalize on the opportunity to create this lifestyle that has a little bit more freedom, more flexibility than, you know, the average corporate worker, um, then it's important to learn how to work efficiently. So when you're talking about batch work, can you describe a little bit more in detail what that looks like for you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Like when we talk about wanting to have more flexibility, like you said, it actually comes down to having the systems in place so that we can have flexibility in the other aspects of our life. So for me, batch work means that rather than having 10 tabs open on my browser, like I usually want to do or is usual tendency for me, rather than working a little bit here and a little bit there and then coming back to this while that's running, I force myself to turn off everything except for one thing. So like I said, for blogging, we're on the road and we don't have internet access at that point. The only thing open on my computer is, is going to be my document where I'm, I'm just typing and I go from one session to the next writing about family A and then family B so that when we do have internet, all I have to do is copy and paste to my, to my blog and hit publish. Or it means the only thing I have open is, is Lightroom and that's all I'm doing is editing. And I don't know why this is so hard for me, but it, it is. I, I want to be multitasking and we have this tendency, I think, that feeling like if I'm multitasking, then I'm, I'm busier and I'm getting more done when right. in reality, that's, that's not the case. I can, I can whip out so much more higher quality work if I am just focusing on one thing at a time. And so that, that's what my batch work looks like. Well, and, and you alluded again to the idea of, of the, doing the things that matter. Um, and I want to go back to the first point that you made about simplification. I, I think, at least from my perspective, what I've experienced and, and certainly what I share with our listeners on a pretty regular basis is the significance of understanding kind of your overarching value set or something that I allude to as the, the big picture view. This is something that Julie Morgenstern talks about in, in a book called Time Management from the Inside Out. And I, I'm curious as to how your value set ultimately enabled you to simplify your life and then maybe how that also trickles down to your business. If you know exactly what it is that you want or what makes you happy or what's going to make your family happiest, um, it, it seems like that would naturally drive how you live day to day, including what you get rid of when it comes to simplifying your possessions or how you spend your time in your business. Is that Does that kind of hold true for your life? Yeah. So for me, like, what a day-to-day life looked like for me before this was, and I'm sure a lot of um, parents can also relate to this, is that there's just, there's a lot of endless tasks that come with a home and parenting, you know, the dishes and the laundry. And we just, it just got to be so much. I would, I can remember like just standing in front of my kitchen sink and being like, I just did these dishes. Why do we need so many dishes? Um, And so, and that's, that's a practical look at it. Like, do I really need these many dishes? And so that's actually where I started when I started simplifying was with our dishes. And I said, okay, there are two plates and two cups for every person in this house. And I got rid of the rest. I love it. Um, And, and then it went to the clothes and then, um, you know, it went to toys. And um, I think that once you start 
when you sit down and you begin to realize what you actually need versus what's just taking up your energy, um, it does start to trickle over into other aspects of your life, like my business. I went through my workflow and just made sure that all the steps in it were they actually necessary and simplified my, I work with 17 hats as my client software management. And so I went through the workflows that I have in that and just made sure that every step that was in there, does it really need to be in there? Was it contributing to the client experience? Hmm. And if it, if it didn't, then I took it out and to just simplify in all aspects, not just the physical items in front of me, but the processes that I was going through as well. Well, and again, it speaks to your proactivity and the way that you're approaching life. It's not, you know, this is this is what life is serving me and I'm just kind of stuck with it. It is, this is what's happening at the moment. And I love the distinction that you made about, is this something that is draining me of energy? I think that's a really great question to ask. And, you know, especially if it is draining you of energy, is that absolutely necessary to your life and to your business? I think that's a great way to approach it. But this mentality of, I'm not going like, to let life just kind of dictate how I live and feel. Mm -hmm. I know what I want. I know what my family needs. And that is what I'm going to work toward and make adjustments accordingly. I'd love that. Uh, And it's certainly inspiring for me and and, and, uh, I would assume for our listeners as well. So I I appreciate you sharing these these concepts, these principles. Now, speaking of, of travel, you actually have a workshop coming up in Iceland in September. And and I'm curious, uh, just to maybe you can kind of describe the workshop in, in detail, but what ultimately sets this workshop apart from your, your typical photography workshop as well? Yeah, I mean, first of all, obviously, the workshop is in Iceland. So I mean, that's going to set it a little bit apart from <laughs> Naturally. one based in the States. But sure. ultimately, what really makes it uh, makes it different is is me and I and I hate to say that for fear of <laughs> sounding conceited but um it's it's the truth um there's a lot of workshops out there and we're probably teaching similar things besides you know like style or approach or whatever but the one that this is going to make it different is the fact that the, the people that come to this workshop are going to be working with me and because I am an emotional based person um I'm going to make the people that are there I'm going to make them feel safe and I'm going to make them feel comfortable in sharing mm. their dreams yeah. and their goals for their business. They're going to know that I'm invested in them um, before, during, and after this workshop. Um, that I'm genuinely concerned about helping them grow. I mean, it, it really excites me to have this kind of relationship with other photographers to see them grow and to, to learn with them and alongside them. That's what I'm most excited about. That's what I would say would make this different is is being able to experience not only Iceland, but learning together and learning with with me um, and in developing that kind of relationship. So, well, I like that you make, again, that distinction, which is that the focus on helping the photographer grow it certainly there at the workshop, but then also after the fact, because, you know, I honestly, I see a lot of uh, I say a lot, at least a, a decent number of these traveling workshops uh, or destination workshops where you can't help but wonder if this is more like an excuse for the photographer to get out and see the world versus a genuine desire to actually help photographers. And so I love that you pointed out the fact that that's that's what you're there for is to support these photographers to help their businesses grow. This isn't just an excuse to go take pretty pictures yeah. in a different country. And I think that's really, really important. But if you don't mind, kind of break down what the focus of the workshop is. What to- various topics are you going to be covering there at the workshop? A huge thing for me is, is obviously storytelling. Um, I really want people to come to this workshop and figure out their story and and how they want to apply that to their business. Hmm. I, I really want people to 
kind of dig deep in themselves. That's just so important to me that we become comfortable with our story and sharing it. So I would say personal branding and storytelling is a big focus of the workshop for me. Obviously, obvious things like lighting and posing and editing. I I love all of those things. For me, when I go to a pretty place like Iceland and I see a beautiful waterfall, I see it and I think in my head, I wish there was a person there. Like I love photographing the people within the scenery around them. Um, I'm not just a landscape photographer. I, I really like to photograph that connection. And so for me to be around other people that also feel and think that same way is I think it creates this awesome environment where we're all creative together as well. And we're feeding off each other's creative energy and feeling that excitement together too. So I oh, think yeah. that's a huge aspect of the workshop. Yeah, that energy is so much fun being able to be in, a, in an environment with kind of like-minded people who are all excited. The energy is contagious. What, what kind of business, I mean, we talked about the photography side of the workshop. What elements of the photography business will you also be delving into during the workshop? Kind of some of the things that we've already talked about, making sure that our workflows are consistent, uh, making sure that they know how to give a positive client experience, something that um, can be applied to every client that they interact so that each session they go through looks the same for every person. That's really something that I've perfected in the last couple of years of my business is wanting to give each of my clients the same awesome experience over and over and over again. And that comes with having the consistent workflow. So um, I want to make sure that we're talking about just business systems and the the workflow of their business, because ultimately that's what's going to drive their business and have people talking about them. Yeah, you know, that's a great point about how it frees them up to focus on the client experience. If you do have efficient systems in place, first of all, ideally, you do have the freedom, the flexibility that we've been talking about just for, our, for your personal life. But then it also frees you up to focus on the things that actually will drive your business forward. Because I think so many photographers are spending their time in kind of a reactive mode, doing a lot of busy work for the sake of their business. And there's a lot to be done. The reality is a lot of that can be delegated or simplified or automated, and then you can focus on the things that actually drive your business forward, and one of those is the very thing you're talking about, that client experience. So um, that's a really important topic. I love that you're going to be diving into that as well. Maybe share with our listeners where they can learn more about the workshop online, and of course, we'll link to this in the show notes as well. Yeah, for sure. My, like you mentioned, my website is meganrosephotography.com, but I have uh, specific information about the workshop, and that's workshops dot meganrosephotography.com. I also have information and a link on my Instagram, um, which is meganrose underscore photography. Perfect. We will link to all of this in the show notes for you listeners out there. Make sure uh, you go to bocapodcast.com and uh, you can see the show notes for this episode. Thank you so much, Megan, for making time, uh, speaking of time, making time to share with our listeners with the Boca Podcast community today. This has been really, really wonderful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.